All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's get started here. We're gonna let's begin with with a word of prayer. O Lord, you granted your prophets strength to resist the temptation of the devil and courage to proclaim repentance. Give us pure hearts and minds to follow your Son faithfully, even into suffering and death. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, so, uh, as you perhaps know, today is the vicar's last day. So, if you'd like to send him off with... With, uh, with, with a little extra blessing, you can put some money in the basket, and that'll, that'll go towards the vicar. <laughs> and he'll, he'll appreciate that as a, as a seminarian. Um, anything? Any questions? Everybody? Anything? Oh, that's right. Emily's handed me somebody's glasses case that were left on the back counter. These belong to anybody in this room? Right here. Right here. That's convenient. Thanks. <laughs> Howdy, boy, Bill. Okay. So now, the next question is... Um, it's been two weeks. Where have we been? Where are we? Catch me up. So the end of First Kings. So we did all of First Kings. Let's hear the highlights. Just go ahead. What happened in First Kings? David was an old man with a girl to keep him warm. Okay, good. That's a good start. You remember the highlights? That's good. Okay. All right. What happened next? After David, David was allowed to build the temple. right? So who did? His son. Solomon built the temple. Now uh, Solomon, let, let's cruise along here. What was? Tell, tell me a little bit about Solomon. What are some of his attributes? Some of his characteristics? Wise wisdom. He's got wisdom, but he also has a problem, and that is he loves many foreign women. Right? Okay. So his heart uh, is too much for his wisdom. His heart over sort of uh, is overcomes the wisdom that he has, and. Um, and, and consequently, the kingdom, the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, um, is going to come to an end. Uh, and in fact, it does. As we proceed along, there's a new king that comes along, Omri. He's not a son of David. Um, he takes over the kingdom of, of, uh, of, of Judah. And his son, Ahab, is, uh, how would you describe Ahab? Wicked. As if it weren't enough that he followed in the ways of Jeroboam, the fa- his father, he also married Jezebel, right, okay, so he's a terrible guy, but in the midst of that, who comes along, do you remember, who shows up just all of a sudden, Elijah, okay, all right, good, you're doing great, this is fantastic, thank you for reminding me where we've been, okay, now, um, Elijah does a couple of things, do you remember the, the, the big stories in Elijah's life, what were some of the big, the big stories, or, the widow, okay, well, and what did he do for the widow, Okay, that's right. She gave him his, her last piece of bread. He raised her son. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, what about uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Do you remember that story? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He lit him up, right? So uh, there were 450 of them. Baal wouldn't, re- wouldn't reply, wouldn't uh, accept the sacrifice. Um, but when Elijah prayed to God... And, wa- and watered the whole thing three times. Um, fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and then Elijah said, execute the prophets. And now, now it's Elijah. Elijah's the prophet in Israel, okay? Um, Ahab had his moments, uh, had some brighter moments in his life. You remember, do you remember how he repented that one time? And, uh, and, and God said, because he repented, he's, I'm not going to take the kingdom away from him. 
in his lifetime, I'm going to take the kingdom away from his son. And that's where we pick up at the beginning of 2 Kings. Okay? Now, in terms of the overall structure of 1 and 2 Kings, the Elijah and Elisha narratives are the center. Okay? So we've been cruising along at, a, at an enormous pace. Enormous is not the right descriptor for it. At a really fast pace. Um, and then all of a sudden, for a period of, uh, of chapters that's, I think it's like 19 chapters, we slow down and we just hear about Elijah and Elisha. Okay? And that started at the end of 1 Kings, and it continues now into 2 Kings where we, where we meet uh, we, we learn more about Elisha. We were introduced to him at the end of 1 Kings because Elijah was walking along and saw Elisha and said, hey, come, come follow me, kind of like Jesus did. And um, Elisha left, his, left everything behind and, and followed Elijah and was, was, was serving him. Okay? So let's take a look at what happens at the beginning of 1 Kings. I want you to keep in mind, though, that this, that this central narrative, Elijah and Elisha, um, is, is sort of sort of definitive, characteristic of uh, how God works uh, among his people. So, when when we get to the Gospels and we meet people like John the Baptist and Jesus, it's, we're not surprised to see that they look a lot like Elijah and Elisha, okay? We'll talk a little bit more about that in detail. It was, it was, it was great to have the reading about John the Baptist this morning. I mean, you hear the name of Elijah all the time. In the New Testament, where do we hear about Elijah? Transfiguration. He's there with whom? Moses and Elijah and Jesus, right? Um, where, where else do we hear about Elijah in, in, the, in the Gospels? Uh, in Revelation? Okay. How about, how, about, uh, how about in the Gospel narratives? Mike? Yeah, who am I? And they say, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, and others say John the Baptist, right? So Elijah, you know, is this, is this figure that they're expecting. Now, what's interesting about Elijah and what's different between Elijah and Elisha, as we'll see, is that Elijah um, speaks, speaks loudly against the kings, right? So his words towards Ahab are public and, um, and, and loud, and he confronts, he confronts the king, um, much like John the Baptist does, coming and saying, um, uh, the axe is already laid at, laid at the root of the tree, right? Um, w- another time we, we hear about Elijah. Do you know? In the Gospels? That's right. There were many widows in the, in the land, right? So um, Elijah, here, here's this reference point. We hear about him again and again. He does say that. If you have ears to hear, uh, John the Baptist is Elijah. This is great. You guys know a lot. There's another time I'm thinking of that you haven't thought of yet, though. <laughs> Today's, lesson. Today's lesson. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Herod thought that John the Baptist was Elijah. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is on the cross, and what does he say? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And the people said, he's calling, calling for Elijah, right? But Jesus is different than Elijah, um, just as he's different than John the Baptist. Elijah was, uh, in some ways, preparing the way, just like John the Baptist was preparing the way. And we get a glimpse of that in this, this succession narrative here. The Elijah-Elisha story 
is, is a story much like many of the stories we hear in the Bible where a succession takes place. Here's more quizzing. What are some, this is some succession stories in the Bible? I gave you two of them. Elijah, Elisha, John the Baptist, Jesus. Well, who else do we have? Moses and Joshua, right? It's fitting that Moses and Elijah are on the mountain with Jesus, pointing towards Jesus. Joshua, you know, Savior, right? Elisha's name means God saves, okay? Um, they're pointing ahead to a Savior. Any others you can think of? David Solomon. David Solomon, yep, yep. David, uh, Solomon fulfills what David was unable to do in a sense. He's building a temple, building a place for God. Okay, so keep that big picture in mind here. Let's start. We're going we're gonna to narrow in a little bit. There's so much to say. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So Ahab has a son, Ahaziah, and the story really starts at the end of 1 Kings, um, chapter 22, verse 51, and we're introduced to Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, and he reigns over Israel. Now, we get this little sort of parenthetical thing, which point, which, this verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Kings. So 2 Kings, if you open up first, to 2 Kings and you read that first sentence, you're going to be like, I don't know what that has to do with anything. It's, we're, we're, it's both looking backwards and looking forwards, okay? So we know that when Ahab dies... His kingdom is going to come to an end because God has pronounced that judgment against him. Moab, um, the people of Moab are related to Israel. They're the, the ancestor, the, the offspring of Lot, Abraham's nephew, cousin? Nephew. nephew. I, think, I think so, yeah. Okay. They're the, anyways, they're related, but they are not the people of Israel. And we'll see in a couple of chapters that they, they have an important role to play in the future of Israel. Um, so this sentence is just sort of parenthetical here. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Something's going to happen. There's, there's sort of this, this tremor of, of what's going to come next. Now, um, we're nearing the end of Elijah's career, and he has this, this last episode, which is so interesting. And so, um, so it's, it, it, i got to read it to you, okay? So chapter 1 of First Kings, Second Kings, uh, it's on pages 1 and 2. Now, Ahaziah the son of Ahab, fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. One thing to notice as we read this, I'm never going to get through this, but one thing to notice as we read this is uh, notice the opposition. So, Ahab, so ascents and descents, okay? Ahaziah falls through the lattice and he lays sick. Just, just keep that in mind, okay? So he sent messengers telling them, go inquire of Baalzebub. What does that mean? Anybody know? Lord of the flies, right? It's, it's, it's an idol, and not just any idol, but it's, it's, I mean, it's the antithesis of Yahweh. Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from the sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Okay? Does that ring any bells that you shall surely die? Does that ring any bells for you? Genesis, right? Yeah. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In the Hebrew, it's really, it's, uh, we, we miss it in English because it's like, in, in the Hebrew it says something like, dying you shall die, or you shall die to death. Right? It's, this is serious business. Okay? It's, it's, uh, it's a bad kind of promise, right? It's not the promise you, you want to hear. Um, but remember, remember, every word can be taken two ways, right? So if you hear that word, you shall surely die, what's your response? Repent, okay? 
And because remember what happened. Uh, they ate of the fruit of the tree. And they shall surely die. But God gives them a promise. In spite of, in, he gives them a promise of life, um, which, which can overcome this death, okay? So if you, if you know that about God, if you know that um, his promises of life are stronger than his, than, his, than his promises of death, then you cling to those promises of life. But if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, or if, you are, if, if your pride is too much for that, then when you hear that word, you do any number of things. One of them is to despair. Another is to do what the king does. So listen to what he does. Verse 5. The messengers returned to the king and said to him, he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel? Elijah's name means, by the way, the Lord Yahweh is God. Okay. So Elijah is like, he, if, you want to talk to, if you want to talk to God, you go talk to Elijah. Okay. Uh, therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. The king said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. Reminds you of whom? Okay, now here's what's really interesting about it. That, that phrase there, or that sentence, that clause, He wore a garment of hair, is actually even more interesting in the Hebrew because it says he was a a bale of hair, right? Instead of being a bale of flies, bales above, he was a bale of hair. He was a lord of hair rather than a lord of flies. So they don't know who he is, but listen, the king does. He knows who he is. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Now this becomes really important later. Um, it's, it's a little ambiguous uh, what exactly it means when, we, when the Hebrew says that he was a lord of hair. Could have just been a hairy guy. I don't know. Could have been that he wore a garment of hair. Um, but in any case, the contrast becomes very important later when we meet Elisha. Okay? So hang on to that thought for a second. Okay. Verse 9. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. 50 men. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill. Okay? He's up high. The king is down low. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am... A man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Whoosh, they're gone. Okay. And the king said to him, another captain of 50 men, right? This is what you do if you don't believe in God, right? You keep on sending 50 men to get consumed by fire. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, he sounds like my kids. If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Okay, twice it didn't work. Maybe third time's the charm. Again, the king sent the captain of the third, 50, with his 50. And the third captain of the 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. This guy's different. And entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Okay? So he petitions Elijah on account of life, for the sake of life. Right? The promise of life is stronger than the promise of death, okay? And this man, this captain, even though his king doesn't do it, he petitions Elijah on account of, on account of life, for the sake of life. That's really important in the, throughout the Bible. Um, one of the lenses through which we can see what Jesus does. I mean, the, the narrative is death to resurrection, death to life, right? Jesus is, is uh, it, um, he... he he brings life, and his life overcomes his life overcomes the death that's in the world. Even the death 
that, that God pronounces on the world, the judgment that God pronounces on the world. Um, but that's one of, the, one of the important lenses through which you should, you should read all of Scripture, is that life, the promise of life is stronger than the promise of death. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Elijah was a sarcastic fellow. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Okay, now this is the end of, ah- of Ahab's line, because Ahaziah had no son. All right. So, so on Elijah's watch, the kingdom of Ahab, this terrible kingdom, the, the Amride kingdom, Amri was, was Ahab's father, comes to an end. Okay? Everybody on board? Bruce. This is uh, pretty much uh, law. I mean, if you just juxtapose to Jesus, Jesus would have gone right away as soon as a sinner had called to Jesus, uh, you would think, because of gospel. But Elijah was, you know, making. Elijah couldn't do anything except what God told him to do, right? Um, and when, they, when the captain comes, when the captains come and command him, because their because their king commands him them, um, he's, he he's, he can't do but what God d- tells him to do. And the word that he has to speak is a word of judgment because the king is unrepentant. But notice what he does. As soon as there's as soon as there's this this petition of faith, right? Jesus is like there. Elijah's like, I'm there already. Okay, because the angel says the angel says go. Okay, so it it, it it's it, it is it's law depending on how it, it's law de- depending on which side you're on, right? Um, if you're if you're the king and you you want to inquire after Baalzebub, then sure, it's law. But if you're the faithful captain who who has his petition answered with life, then it's gospel. In the Hebrew, is there a difference between the first fifty? They just said come, and the second one, he said the king commands you to come. Is is there a difference in the emphatic nature or the order, or was it? Just, just, in, just in terms of the humility of the third, right? That's where the difference lies, okay? All right, let's, let's turn the page. It's blank, page three. I know that. <laughs> because I want you to have pages four and five side by side. Um, any questions? Any other, any other thoughts? Everybody on board here? Okay. Now what we get is the Elijah-Elisha succession. Um, there was this fun exercise in... Uh, literary form that I wanted to do here. We'll see if... Ah, uh, man, I just don't... Really run out of time. Okay, we might have to not finish Second Kings this summer. We'll have to do it next summer, okay? Because we've got to do this. Okay, um, here's how chapter 2 goes. Let's just follow along for a bit. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he, sa- but he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Okay? So let's pause there for just a second. I've, I've written some letters 
in your handout. A, B, C, D, E, F, E prime, D prime, C prime, B prime, A prime, okay? <laughs> Do you, uh, maybe you remember from literature what's called a chiasm, okay? It's a, it's a structure, a literary structure that looks like this, where what comes first is recapitulated in some way at the end. And you get, you get a mirror image. And what, and what this does is, for one thing, it, it helps us to see where the, where the, where the unity lies, right? So what's, what, what's the chunk we're dealing with? Here we're dealing with the story of Elijah going to heaven. But it also helps us to know what's the center, what's the important part, and everything else sort of relates to that. So the exercise for you, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. The exercise for you is to figure out how these parts relate to each other. So I just read for you part A, which is uh, Elijah saying to Elisha, stay behind. Elisha says, no, I'm going to come with you. And everybody's saying, don't you know that your master is going to get taken away from you? Rem remember that when we get to A prime at the end. Uh, that connection is really interesting. So hang on to that. Uh, verse 7, B. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. C. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. D. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. E. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. F. This is the center. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. E prime. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. So you see how that mirrors what came at E? It mirrors it because there's the chariots and the horses and the separation between the two of them. Okay? Everybody on board? Okay, now, now here's, here's the exercise. Then he took hold of his clo own clothes and tore them in two pieces. D prime. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. How is that related to D? That comes next. Hang on to that. That's part C. Um, part D has to do with the cloak of Elijah and Elijah's, what does Elijah ask for from? Double portion, right? Okay. Um, when Elijah chooses Elisha, at the end of 1 Kings, he goes and he places his mantle on him, his cloak on him, right? And so Elijah's gone, and Elisha picks up, picks up the cloak, right? And the, and the big question, the big question that, uh, that is hanging over the text now is, what kind of man will Elisha be? Elijah the prophet is gone. Will Elisha be a prophet like Elijah? Because well, we know what happens when there's no prophet in Israel, right? Do you remember... You remember um, the story of, of, of when Samuel dies, right? And how David um, is going to kill Nabal uh, because he has no prophet to tell him that he should be gracious to Nabal, right? And then Abigail comes along and says, don't do it. You're going to have blood on your hands, right? We know that is bad news when there's no prophet. And so the big question hanging over the text is, Elijah's gone. What's going to happen next? Is there really going to be a prophet? What does a double portion of his spirit look like, okay? So Elisha picks up the, 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 the cloak, right, um, the, sort of mirroring his, his request for a double portion of Elisha's, Elijah's spirit, right? Here he's got, the, got the, the cloak that was placed on him when he was chosen. C prime, then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Elisha is, 
even wondering what's going to happen. And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. There it is, the water being parted, right? That's mirroring what happened in, in C, verse 8, when Elijah took the, the same cloak and parted the water. So this is good news, right? At least Elisha can part water with the, with the cloak of Elijah. That's good, okay? Now, um, here B prime mirrors B. It's, B was a short one verse, and it had to do with 50 men. So we see here in B prime those 50 men again. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said, Behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent, therefore, fifty men. And for three days they sought him, but they did not find him. Right? Who do you find after three days? Yeah. But you don't find Elijah after three days. Okay? And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Right? It, it's, it, the, the presence of God in Israel is not to be found with Elijah anymore, right? The promise has been given to Elisha, okay? So now, uh, this, this, uh, this section 19 through 22 kind of confirms that here. Now, as the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation in the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elijah spoke. This is sort of parenthetical. And again, here we see that Elisha can do things, right? And what's really important to know is what kind of things he does. What kind of, what kind of things does Elisha do? Um, what kind of things that are characteristic of how God relates to his people? He brings life. Perfect. By means of what? Okay. Okay. But what, what sort of, what, what, what earthly material things? Water? Yeah, salt. You know in the baptismal rite, they used to put salt on the, the tongues. Of, you've heard this before, right? Salt on the tongue of, uh, of the, the baptismal candidate to loosen. Just, um, and, or was it under the eyelids? I can't remember. That would hurt. Don't do that. You blow under the eyelids. It's on the tongue. Yeah, preserve it. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, he, here Elisha starts dealing with water, bringing life to this city by, uh, by means of water. Jesus later at the Feast of Tabernacles in John, in John stands up and says, I am living water. Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me. Right? Okay, now here's A prime. This is the, this is the most interesting part. Um, okay. Elisha went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city. Now, that's ambiguous. We don't know what small boys really means. And jeered at him, young men maybe, saying, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. You used to do this... That's right. That's how you can... Yeah, right. Whatever it takes. From there, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he ret- returned to Samaria. Now, okay, so how does this connect? This is, this is the big, this is really, so the, otherwise, this episode is like, Elisha's got a penchant for violence. He's kind of a loose cannon preying on, you know, kids who do, who do things that kids do, right? Not quite. How do you think this connects to section A, in which Elijah is 
uh, everything's pointing towards Elijah being taken away from Elisha. Do you remember from chapter 1 when the king asks, what kind of man was it? Who was it? He was a hairy man, right? And he is, Elijah is, Elisha's head. He's his master, right? And Elijah has been taken away from Elisha. And so this episode in which these kids are saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head, right? It, it's, it's pricking this, this point in which Elisha is, it, it seems to be sort of wandering without his master, without his head, without his, without his hairy head over him, okay? He seems to be bald. He seems to be headless, right? He seems to have no direction. But, what is, but everything to this point um, is now a demonstration of this double portion of the spirit that he's gotten, right? So if they're accusing him of being, being aimless and not a prophet of God, the response is, Look, I'm a prophet of God, right? In the name of the Lord, right? Okay? Um, and, that, and that closes the section for us. So, at first, it seems desperate. This question is hanging over the text. What's going to happen when Elisha loses his head, right? When Elisha loses Elijah, what's going to happen? Not only for Elisha, but for Israel. And at the end of the text, we see that Elisha is, is, his, is, um, is the presence of the Lord um, for the people of Israel himself, Okay? Everybody on board so far? Okay. So, now, um, Elijah, Elisha asked for a double portion of uh, Elijah's spirit, spirit, and by some counts, depending on how you count the miracles, um, it, it actually seems like he were, there are recorded twice as many miracles as Elijah performed. Um, and that's what we see, in, especially in chapter 4. But look at, um, I'm going to come back to chapter 3, just, well, maybe, um, Look at these miracles that he performs in chapter 4, just by the description of them. This is page 6. We're at the very last page now. Um, Elisha and the widow's oil. You know that story? Right? The widow's going to run out of oil. She has a debt to pay. And what does Elisha do? He says, uh, get a container and pour your oil jar into it. And she keeps on pouring. Get another container. Get another container. Get another container until she has no more containers. And then she pays off the debt. And she and her son live off the rest. Right? So he supplies her need. He gives her life. Then Elisha and the Shunammite woman, right? Another resurrection story. He promises to this woman and her husband who provide him this hospitality. He says, uh, you're going to have a son. And she does have a son in, in her old age, but then the son dies. And what does Elisha do? He raises the son from the dead. Then um, Elisha purifies a deadly stew. This is, I mean, what's the point? Well, think about it. What kind of miracles is Elisha doing? He's bringing life, and how does he do it? Uh, he, uh, what, what, are, what is the means? What is, um, yeah, what's the means? His words. Uh, but it has to do with um, supplying the needs of the people, particularly here with food, right? They need, they need food. They have this deadly, this deadly stew. Uh, they have no food, and Elijah purifies it. And then um, he does this miracle that comes at the end of chapter 4, which will sound really familiar just after he purifies the deadly stew, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Right? So Elisha um, is doing these kinds of things that Jesus does Saving the people by means of 
by, by means of water, by means of bread, by means of food, by, by giving them life in these very ordinary sorts of ways, but thereby demonstrating that he is the prophet of God, the prophet of, of the God who saves, right? So if you need salvation, you come to, come to Elisha, God saves, um, and, uh, and that there's hope for Israel, okay? Okay, so now here, here's what we're going to do. Um, the, the, chapter 5, Naaman healed of leprosy. I think you know this story. Um, but I want to read it to you from, from this book. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, this is my favorite children's book by my favorite children's author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. And she tells these stories in such an interesting way, such a helpful way. So I'm going to read it to you from here, but then we're just going to look at a few parts of the text. We have seven minutes, so hang on. Okay. This is how Sally Lloyd-Jones tells the story. She, she, she interpolates a little bit, but the point is really it's very helpful. Okay? Naaman was a very important man in a very important army of a very important country. So you see, he was very, very important. But Naaman was sick. He had leprosy, which is a nasty thing that stops you from feeling anything. Bits of you fall off without you noticing, like bashed fingers and squished toes. Might sound funny, but it wasn't, and Naaman certainly wasn't laughing. There was no cure. It never went away, and in the end, it killed you. Naaman needed help. Now, there was a little slave girl who worked for Naaman, and she knew someone who could help him. But there was a problem. Naaman was her enemy. Not long before, Naaman had led an army raid on her home in Israel. He had killed her whole family, carried her off to Syria, and made her into his slave. Every night, she cried herself to sleep. She had lost everything. Why would she, of all people, want to help Naaman? Didn't she hate him? and want to hurt him back? Didn't she want to make him pay for the wrong he'd done? That's what you'd expect. But instead of hating him, she loved him. Instead of hurting him back, she forgave him. I want Naaman to get well, she said to her mistress. There's a man in Israel called Elisha who can heal him. I'll go, said Naaman, loading up his wagons and putting on his flashing armor. But I'll go to the palace, because that's where someone important like me gets healed. So we hurried off to Israel and went straight to the king. My healing, please... He announced, I can do a lot of things, the king replied, but only God can heal. Just then a message came from Elisha. Send Naaman here, it read. So Naaman hurried off to Elisha's house. But Elisha didn't even come out and greet him. He just sent a servant instead. Doesn't Elisha realize who I am, Naaman thought. But what the servant said next made him even crosser. She's British. Wash in there, he said. Just wash, Naaman laughed, in that slimy, stinky river. He looked around to see if this was some kind of joke. It wasn't. Any person can wash in a river, he thought. I am Naaman. I am important. I should do something important so God can heal me. And he rode off in a rage. Of course, you and I both know that's not how God does things. All Naaman needed was nothing. It was the one thing Naaman didn't have. God knew that Naaman was even sicker on the inside than he was on the outside. Naaman was proud. He thought he didn't need God. His heart didn't work properly. It couldn't feel anything. You see, Naaman had leprosy of his heart. God was not only going to heal Naaman's skin, he was going to heal his pride. Naaman finally agreed to wash in the river, and instantly his skin became smooth like a baby. Naaman wanted to pay Elisha. God healed you. You can't pay, Elisha said. It's free. And so it was that a very sick man was healed, all because of a little servant girl who forgave him. 
God knew sin was like leprosy. It stopped his children's hearts from working properly, and in the end, it would kill them. Years later, God was going to send another servant to forgive as she did, to forgive all of God's children and heal the terrible sickness in their hearts. Their hearts were broken, but God can mend broken hearts. Okay, so she tells this story in this beautiful way where the little, the little slave girl, go ahead, hit those, hit those lights, where the little slave girl is a, a picture of, of Jesus, right? And you can, you, when you, if you tell the story to your kids, you, you, you can imagine they're surprised when you find out whether this little slave girl who's been stolen from her family, from her country, wants to help her master name. And it sort of comes naturally to kids to think that way. And then, of course, she does it. She forgives him. And uh, Naaman is healed. Now, this, is, this story is so important because, uh, like so much of the Old Testament that deals with water and healing, it points ahead to how God saves us in the New Testament, right? Just as you heard this morning uh, in the, in, during the baptismal liturgy, um, we pray this prayer that, that Martin Luther gathered together from all kinds of other prayers. It's called the flood prayer. Um, and it, it takes from Hebrews how God saved eight, eight souls in all through the flood, through the water of the flood. And when Israel crossed through the water on dry ground, God saved them by means of the water. Well, the same thing's going on here with Naaman, right? His, the, the, the word of Elisha to Naaman is, go and wash. So you see that on page 6, right? Wash and be clean. Um, go, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Now, there's a couple of... Uh, key points here. One is, Naaman is not an Israelite, right? He, he's, in fact, the enemy of Israel, right? Um, and he's prideful. His heart is, is turned against um, the salvation that God has offered to him, right? The healing that God has offered to him. He's prideful. But his servants, you know, they somehow convince him, and he goes and he washes in the Jordan, and look at... Um, Look at what, how it's described. His flesh, this is the very bottom of the page, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And it, to me, it just sounds so much like John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night, and he says, um, you know, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. Um, and Jesus says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, right? You can't, unless you enter again, it, you know, unless you become like a little child, right? Um, and Naaman, or not Naaman, Nicodemus says, how can, how can someone enter again into his mother's womb? Um, how can you be like a little child? Well, here it is, right? By, by hearing God's promise, his word of promise attached to the water, this wordy water, right? Um, if, you've, if you've heard Pastor Nelson teach about, about baptism, this wordy water um, restores Naaman's flesh so that his skin was like that of a little baby. Little baby. And even more, even more, Naaman um, is now a Gentile convert. He believes in... He believes in Yahweh, believes in the Lord God, right? So he returns home and he says, he asks, he says, Elisha, I need, I need some sort of, um, I need some help because I have to serve my Lord, my king, um, but I don't want to worship these idols anymore, right? It's such a beautiful story because so often, so many of the kings and commanders and so forth that we hear about in, uh, in, in First and Second Kings are just terrible people and they don't repent. But here is this Naaman, this unlikely fellow um, who receives the promise and, and, and repents and converts and is cleaned. And is made is made like a little child, um, and that if I mean if that's not foreshadowing what's gonna, what's going to happen to us in the New Testament here, how we receive bap- new life in baptism, um, it doesn't get it doesn't get much more obvious than that, right? Wash in the Jordan, wash and be clean. Okay. <sighs> Thank you for uh, enduring. I, I, any questions? You good? Let, we'll pick it up again next week. <laughs>
see how we do. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.